There is now a bigger gap between the rental market and the ownership market and the city of Santa Barbara and along the Central Coast. And that's where we play. We wanna now be the nicest apartment available in the marketplace. And those are the renters that we're targeting. And and so that's 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 just a little bit of, of, of the strategy behind why and what we're trying to achieve. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Dan Kennedy. He's a real estate investor and a former professional soccer player, very impressive, who started investing in 2011, started investing in real estate in 2011, and now transitioned into commercial real estate investing in 2018 with his partner. And today we're learning about his and his partner's strategy for investing in California, specifically investing in deals in Santa Barbara, California, where they're adding tremendous value to the properties. We're digging into the specifics of their strategy, how they add value, how they mitigate risk, how they deal with the local and state regulations that are fairly onerous in California compared to the rest of the country, really digging into the details and the weeds of how they deploy this particular strategy. Really interesting stuff. And you're going to learn a lot of advantages of understanding your market, understanding the local laws, how they can hinder you, but also how they can benefit you. And we're going to get into the details and the specifics of how Dan and his partner navigate the local situation there in California, specifically in Santa Barbara. So great stuff. You're going to learn a lot. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, and I focus on commercial multifamily and self-storage properties. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call, and we will look forward to speaking with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Reminder, today our guest is Dan Kennedy. We're talking about investing in multifamily in California using a very specific strategy that is working for him and his partner. So without any further ado, here we go. Dan, thanks so much for joining us today. For our listeners out there who don't know about you, your business and your background, can you tell us a bit about yourself and what you're doing now? Yeah, Taylor, thanks for having me on. Dan Kennedy, based in Santa Barbara, California. We started our investment shop about five years ago, though it was a, it was a, it's, it's probably been on Matt and I's mind for maybe eight or nine. And we, uh, today we focus on, on buying stabilized and light value add industrial warehouse properties throughout the Midwest. And we also focus on purchasing and managing uh, heavy value add and ground up development uh, apartment projects along the Central Coast. So two dramatically different asset classes. We see them as complementary to one another when we think about investing and having some diversification in what we're doing. And, you know, this, this, this whole business was created really to allow Matt and I to invest our own money in higher quality commercial real estate assets. So we were independently from one another. We were investing in real estate since 2011. Good buddies, been buddies for almost 20 years. And we started just comparing notes on what we were doing. 
this was, you know, shortly thereafter the Great Recession. So there was a lot of opportunity uh, in the market. And unfortunately, we were just beginning and we didn't have a lot of uh, a lot of coin or scratch to put together. So we were buying single family homes as rental properties, as fix and flips. We were buying duplexes and we were just trying to 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 generate some wealth for ourselves personally. And when you're in that space, if you build some scale over time, you realize that it is very time intensive. You need a property management company either in-house or working for you. Um, and it became clear that if we really wanted to focus on on this full time, we were going to need to get into the commercial space. So that's what we did. Prior to German Capital Partners, I was a major league soccer player for 12 years. Uh, my business partner, Matt, was at Facebook for seven, and he has he was involved in a few tech startups prior to that. So, you know, as business partners, we bring very different skills to the table, which in this type of environment is is complementary. We don't want to have the same rationale or or thought process. So it's been it's been a good partnership. And you know, really when we think about making an investment decision, we think about, you know, what it does to the investor in any given deal. And the opportunity that, that is in front of us, if we're buying it, it has to be something that we are personally, personally really excited about because the majority of the time, Matt and I are the largest investor in any given deal German capital partners invest in. Uh, we have some scenarios in which that's not the case, but it's only because our investors have reached out to us with 1031 exchange proceeds that they want to place into one of our deals. So we're really, you know, hands on the wheel uh, operators and we uh, take pride in, in what we're doing. And yeah, it, it's been, it's been a, a fruitful venture to this point, but you know, the, what we, what we always say is we'll see how, how it goes over the next few years. I mean, the, the economy is certainly being disrupted. Uh, it's disrupting our ability to purchase properties. So there's, there's plenty we can cover on this call, Taylor. <laughs> oh, don't I know it. We're limited, more limited on time than topics, I think. And one of the things I wanted to dig into you into today with you is investing in California, particularly with a, a value add strategy, because value add in, in multifamily generally requires raising rents, which is known to be or, or understood to be difficult in California with the regulations and yeah. all of that. Uh, right. You have to evict people who aren't paying, just all these headaches that you know we don't deal with quite as much when we invest in the Sun Belt, you know, for example, right. more than Southeast and all that. So let's yep. dig into that and, and how you actually execute on these this strategy, find the deals. I mean, that's really fascinating that you're able to. Yeah. Publish. Well, we we um we've owned apartments in the Sun Belt. Uh, we've operated them. Um, we've had successful investments down there. What we've experienced on apartment investments is that it's it's very operational, and it's that means it's local, right? That means that you need to have representation close to your properties, whether it's you or property management. And if it's property management, you better have a heck of a good grip on them. We had we experienced major issues with property management and the Sun Belt, and and it took us a long time to figure those issues out, and. So, you know, th that all, all that is, is, um, it, it hurt the return profile of the investment, even though it turned out to be a great investment, but it was not an efficient operation with management. And it led us to believe that why aren't we doing this in our own backyard? We live in Santa Barbara, California, along the central coast. It's, con it's considered, it's tagged the American Riviera. It is a fantastic place to lay your head down. 
you have mountain ranges, hiking trails, just 15 minutes up the road. You have access to some of the coolest beaches in California. And it's a town, the the population is just over 200,000 people. So it's pretty small. But because you have the mountain ranges up against the ocean, you have a geographic region that cannot expand. It cannot expand. It is fully built out. And the housing here is old and predominantly built 50s, 60s, 70s. Wow. So now you have a you have a bunch of apartment assets that have been owned in families for generations that have not been touched in 40, 50 years. And they're at the they're at the very end of their useful life. And if in some cases, I would you could argue that they're 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 not safe to live in. We we acquired an apartment building on State Street in Santa Barbara, California, iconic location. And the water was turned off for three days while we were in contract to purchase the building because the plumbing was failing. And so now you have you have a hundred percent occupied apartment building that the tenants did not have water for three days. Wow. To me, that is not a healthy living environment. So, you know, our goal is to come in, redo all the plumbing, all the electrical, new roof, all new finishes. But in order to do so, the tenants cannot live there. And you you mentioned it. California has plenty of rental regulation laws in place to protect the tenants. Those same laws also protect the landlords if you are willing to substantially renovate and repair your assets. So that's what we do. Hmm. So we 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 actually have to compensate our tenants three times one month's rent in a relocation expense for them to move out of the building. So our tenants paying $2,000 a month are getting a $6,000 check with 60 days notice to move out. So that should give them the ability to go out and find a new apartment where they would, and hopefully one that is more suitable to live in than the one that they're moving out. So that's the goal, right? The goal is to be a, a really productive owner in this, in this community to take care of tenants when that they're, when they're moving out. And then once the, the building is vacant in six to nine months, we completely change the way this building looks and feels. It will actually feel like a brand new development. And then we will go lease the property up at market rate rents, which in some cases are 2x what the rents were when we purchased the building. And you know what that does to the bottom line. It drives net operating income. We have new systems in the building. So the plumbing bill is typically lower. We save a little bit on water. We can now run a bill back system. So the tenants are responsible for their own utilities. Um, so when we buy a building, sometimes the operating expenses are running at 40, 45% to income. And by the time we're done with it, we'll have operating expenses in the 22 to 25%. Wow. So you're just driving income, which as you know, in the apartment business drives property valuation. Absolutely. So there's so much there in, and I like how you, you mentioned about real estate being local. And if you're buying in the Sun Belt from California, but you're not managing it, you're not going there and seeing what's going on, you're not staying on top of the property manager, you're going to run into uh, roadblocks, potholes, things that that go wrong. Yeah. So, we we had a, we had a deal in, in Huntsville, Alabama, huh? that the property manager, every single month, I had to have a two-hour call with them because I don't I did not understand why we had certain expenses when the building was only three years old. And they continued to shrug their shoulders, say that they were working on it and the expenses didn't change. And it what it required of me was to go out there more often instead of being able to drive up the street to see it for myself. And it 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 was a distraction. Uh, the property was performing exceptionally and 
in the end, the property management company was taking advantage of us because of how well the property was performing. So we now have three property managers that we work with over $130 million portfolio. We've created efficiencies. We've created trust. We're trying to build our businesses side by side, these managers, but this is where relationships, trust allow you to go and execute the business plans that you envision when you buy a property. Yeah. So no matter what you're buying, property managers require management and sometimes they, they oh, yeah. need to be <laughs> terminated. <laughs> we let them know that they are an extension of us. We feel like they are part of the DCP family. Um, and so if you're taking from DCP, you're taking, you know, you're, you're taking your opportunity to grow with us off the table. Um, so what we found though, is we found three very trustworthy companies that we feel like we can go build our business with. Good. Good. So uh, back to the the California strategy. So there's so much in there. You have to get the tenants out of, of this particular example property. You have to compensate them pretty substantially. But then when I like to dig into this, you have to actually execute on the plan. You have to get it and dig out all that plumbing and replace it. And that requires permits and all all the red tape, the hoops you have to jump through, everything yep. along those lines. How do you handle all those uh, all those aspects of actually executing on these deals? Yeah. So we we utilize a team of planners that specializes in and permitting and processes with the city of Santa Barbara. And that's what it comes down to. The folks that we that we employ to work on our behalf are a heck of a lot better at this than we are. Now we are the guiding light. We, what do you want to do on the asset? Uh, we put together a design package that we want an architect to draw up and, and create an, a packet of deliverables that will allow the planners and building department at the city of Santa Barbara to approve what we are proposing. It's typically a, a six month process to get permits on an existing building renovation. We've seen that bleed to a year and a half. We've, we've, we're now in a position where we think we can get it done in about four months. Wow. So really, when you think about how we are valued as an investment shop, it's all about your IRR. That time can dramatically change it, the return profile of a deal. So that's, you know, it's, it's our job to go and, and consolidate these timelines, make sure we're asking all the right questions. And we're, we're trying to motivate people by, you know, dang, dangling the carrot, you know, and, 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 and creating an environment that folks want to prioritize our projects and work for us. Nice. So how do you time the process of getting the tenants out of the property along with getting the permits issued? Because if you're going to start yeah, doing the work, question. it's going to be empty, all yeah. that, how do you yeah. time that out? Yeah, it's, it's certainly not a science. It's more of an <laughs> art. We're required by the state of California to give 60 days notice. What we've decided to start doing is give 120. Wow. So we're basically saying, hey guys, this is inevitable and we're, we can afford to give them 120 days notice because we actually start our permit planning application before we own the building. And then right when we own the building, the permit application gets submitted. Once that application is submitted, we can now give the tenants notice and we will, and, and, and we think it's going to take four months to get that permit after a few revisions. So, hey guys, in four months, we're going to have permits to renovate this building. You need to be out. If they are not out in that timeline, the state of California says that we do not have to pay them the relocation assistance. Wow. And if they do not move, they will be evicted. And we don't, that's not our intention. We want them to take the money. Um, we budget for it. And hopefully what we can do 
by giving them that extra 60 days, 60 days more than what is required. It just gives them a little bit more time to find what they need to find. And I I would see it also as a a sign of good faith. Hey, we're going above and beyond what the state says we need to do. Yeah, Yeah, that's exactly the effort. That's right. So what percentage, if you know, what percentage of tenants decide I'm not going to take the money. I'm going to wait and, you know, try we've to only ever, We've only ever had two, which is very low, very low percentage. We've only ever had two. And I think if they went back, they probably would have taken money, you know, <laughs> but I think they were just kind of playing chicken. I don't, it, w- it wasn't a logical conversation. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, those types of things rarely are. So mm-hmm. how do you, you know, we're in this environment now with rising interest rates and commodities are fluctuating yet, you know, going up availabilities, big question mark, all that kind of thing. How do you navigate those changing tides in especially your market where you might be buying at a, you know, one, two cap rate? How do you make it? Yeah, we're, we're really focused on, on stabilized valuations and COVID has impacted this market quite substantially. Mm -hmm. Uh, This has become and continued to, this has always been a destination of choice, but now it has become really a destination of choice for people that can work remotely. So you have people from Silicon Valley, you have people from Los Angeles, you have people from Washington, you have people from all over the Western United States that have vacationed in Santa Barbara that have said, I can work remotely now. I'm going to live in Santa Barbara. This housing market has seen such an influx of activity and the same on the on the flip side of that, all of the people that lived here before COVID have seen their property valuations go through the roof and it's actually created a freeze in the marketplace because those those folks that own homes here before COVID have now seen their properties in some cases double in value, but they can't go afford to buy anything else. So they will not sell, right? So that there there is now a bigger gap between the rental market and the ownership market in the city of Santa Barbara and along the central coast. And that's where we play. We want to now be the nicest apartment available in the marketplace. And those are the renters that we're targeting. And, and so that's, that's, that's just a little bit of, of, of the strategy behind why and what we're trying to achieve. Cool. Okay. So kind of rewinding to the age of the buildings and the amount of work that you have to do and everything, you know, when you start talking, anybody starts talking about buildings built between the forties to the seventies, and we're going to go in there, we're going to yeah. work on them. My mind is oh. like, if they need that work, knock them down and, you know, rebuild yeah. them because it's going to yeah. be so intensive yeah. to do. Okay. Great question. So we, we have, we have, we have a ground up development Mm -hmm. permitting on that ground up development. It's going to take 18 to 24 months, two years, no cash flow. We bought the property, zero cash flow for two years. And then once we have our permits, it's going to take us another 18 months to build it. Okay. So you're talking about three and a half years of an investment that there is zero cash flow on. So it better be a heck of a good deal on the back end <laughs> in order to be able to withstand that duration of zero cash flows. Right. Right. There's plenty of risk involved in that. On the existing building side, we think we can get projects turned in a year, maybe 15 months. So that is why we do it. We do it a lot. We, we're able to execute the business plan a heck of a lot quicker. And because of the building for the first three, four months, it has cash flow. And then for our downtime of construction, six to nine months, it does not. We've planned and budgeted for our interest reserves to 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 be able to pay for our loan. Excuse me. So we now focus on construction costs, yes, but 
we are, you know, at the mercy of, of the market here. So back to partnerships, our general contractor is a really good friend that we trust. And if the price of a roof goes up 25%, we have to trust that. And the, the reality is the deals that we're doing, um, we build a conservative construction budget. We attack, we, we tack on an extra 10% contingency. We could blow through that budget without a doubt, but the deals that we're doing are not so skinny that if we're, if we have a 10 or 15% overage on our construction budget, it'll still be a profitable venture. So that's the kind of wiggle room we need in order to go make an investment. We need to feel like, okay, we're pretty close here. Things might change. If they do, we're in a position to get, still go, go make some money. I'll give you an example. Gra- new construction would probably sell for, you know, six, seven hundred thousand dollars a unit in wow. Santa Barbara. Okay. We've, we've been able to buy some existing buildings in between three, $350,000 a unit. And then we'll go invest, you know, 70, 80 grand into that unit. So let's just say we bought it for 400 grand a unit and we go invest 75 grand a unit. We're all in 475 grand per unit. But if new development is selling for 700 grand and what we've created is effectively a new development, then we feel like we're pretty, we, we feel pretty good about our basis. Okay. So as far as the, so in multifamily economies of scale, are a big part of the advantage mm-hmm. of buying apartment complexes. Mm-hmm. What is the line in terms of the number of units, like a minimum that you're going after? Another another really interesting thing. This market has very small parcels mm-hmm. throughout throughout the region. Okay. So few and far between are the 50 to 200 unit apartment complexes. Uh, there's, there is I would say there's probably 10 to 20 of those in Santa Barbara. There's, there's just not a lot. So we're, we, we see a lot of opportunity in the, in like the 10 to 25 unit range. And we have just listed a property. It's probably going to blow your mind, but we have just listed a property for sale for 13 and a half million dollars. And it, and it is a 23 unit apartment complex. Wow. You know, so we're talking over $500,000 a door. Um, and we bought this as an office building. We got, permits to to change it into an apartment building and that's what we did nice okay well that's that's good to hear though because i think a lot of areas we have you know throughout the country we have a lot more retail and office mainly i think than we really need oh a traditional office today more than ever yeah today more than ever so are you focusing on those types of deals into the future or is that kind of a one-off? Yeah, well, it's pretty easy for us to analyze those types of deals because all we care about is price per square foot. It's all we care about because we, we, we think we can go and, and, and spend a certain amount of money on, on permitting and a hard and soft costs to get it, to, to get the city on board to turn it into apartments. But then you look up and you're like, well, we can't be, we can't be forecasting that we're going to go sell this building for, you know, $2,000 a square foot, you know? So really we can take a quick look at something if it's in the $300 square foot range and it's an office building and, and it's in the right uh, zoning, then we'd be interested in pursuing that as a potential adaptive reuse conversion from office to, to apartments. So how big of a last question on this topic, then we'll move on, but how big of a for want of a better phrase, but this is what comes to mind. How big of a roll of the dice is it on the permitting and, and zoning department and all of that, that you're bringing them this plan? What are the odds are going to say, no, you did mention zoning. So how yeah, big it's of a, not a matter? It's not a matter of them saying no. 
It's a matter of how long it's going to take <laughs> and what costs you're going to incur. Sure. So for instance, we, we put together an architecture, architectural plan, costs a lot of money. They, the city of Santa Barbara, before our application was deemed complete, changed the density program for housing. And it hurt us because now that based on where we were at, we needed to provide affordable housing, which before we wouldn't have needed to do that. So it disrupted our business plan quite dramatically. So we, we, we scrapped our, our initial eight months of planning. We basically said, okay, we're right. not going to do this anymore. We're going to apply through a different bonus program that the state offers, and we're going to get more density on the site, which made the project again feasible. So that's the kind of thing that can happen is, well, maybe the laws are what they are now. If they change against you, you, you could have a little exposure for sure, but then you're going to have to go do things like put in fire sprinklers. So if you're going to take an existing office building and turn it into apartments, what the city is going to require from you from a building perspective is that everything is brought up to code. Structurally, you're brought up to code. All your electrical needs to be up to code, all your plumbing. You're going to have to have fire sprinklers. If it's more than three stories, you're going to need to have elevators. You're going to have to have enough parking. So you, you have to have enough open yard space. So you have all these, it's like a big balloon. And every time you're like, okay, I need, I need to fit a little more parking here. And you squeeze that, then <laughs> you're like, oh, now I don't have enough room for open yard space for rain, rainwater uh, retention. And, and so that's the, the tricky thing about it. So you need a really good architectural, architectural team to help you plan and get a, you know, Put, a, put together a project that meets all the different requirements. I mean, bike parking. We spent, I think we spent $150,000 on bike parking Ugh. on one of our projects. Wow. And it does, it like, there's bikes in there, but it's not, it's, it's not used to its full capacity. EV stations, uh, you, you now are, they're, they're requiring you to underground uh, electrical poles, it's like 75 grand a pop to underground electrical wow. pole. So you're like, yeah, we got three electrical poles on the property depending on what neighborhood you're in, you might have to ground all three of those. So that's $225,000 that does not drive NOI. It just allows you to do the project, right? So these are these are the things. So that's why the price per square foot of what we're buying is so important because we're like, okay, well, if we're buying at 300 bucks a square foot, we think it's gonna be worth a $1,000 square foot and we're done with it. Now we can go spend, you know, $700 a square foot and break even. <laughs> I don't think we're gonna do that, you know? Man, and what people wonder why housing in California is so expensive. Oh, that's right. It's, that's right. It, yeah, yeah. It's it's, just it, and that's what I said, you know, earlier on the call. That very high barriers to entry here. A lot of red tape, you know. And if we can figure out how to how to how to skim a little bit of time, how to build some relationships, how to get a team in place to get these projects done a little bit quicker, that's our opportunity. Wow, really interesting stuff. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Dan, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Yep. Are you ready? Yep. All right. Ready. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? 
Yeah. So when Matt and I started this business, we started investing in Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, it was in, it was in 2018. It was right when the opportunity zone designation came out. Nice. Um, which was a, you know, huge tax, uh, legislation that was, uh, to help protect the capital gain tax liabilities. Uh, we made a few investments in, in land that we entitled and those will probably go down as the best investments we ever made. Cool. Okay. Interesting. So you still yeah. hold those? Do you still hold those now? We, we sold we sold one of them and one of them is in contract to sell in November. But basically we took the city's planning portfolio. They had like this master planning portfolio. And right when the opportunity zone designation map came out, it literally came out like November 1st. We overlaid it on top of the city's <laughs> master plan. And we were like, okay, these eight locations are are going to be highly motivated from the city and they meet the opportunities on designation. That's good. Try to, that's good. Try to tie some stuff up. And we did. And it, and it was a great bet. It was a awesome. great bet. Awesome. Nice. Appreciate the initiative. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the yeah. other side of that coin. The worst investment. The worst. Is the worst yeah. investment. Yeah. Invested in a hard money loan for an operator out of Texas. There was a guy that was introduced to us. He was an apartment operator. He was a little tight on cash. Sh- showed us the the assets that that he had, what he was trying to do with them, how much money he needed, and he got us on board with with the investment. So we we wrote him a hard money loan, and he was a crook. He just took our money. Oh, ouch! Yeah, yeah. So all that means is now you're tied up in lawsuits and you're just spending money. So we'll, you know, I don't know if we'll ever, I don't know if we'll ever see that money back. Bummer. Yeah. So I. So yeah. Just like word of the wise is a, is a very good lesson for us, but you know that's that's we thought we were getting in bed with someone that we could trust and and that we were excited about their project and to be helpful to be a resource and uh, you know this is what I tell everybody that asks me about you know who I invest with or why people invest with us in the end it's it's really about trust and um, making sure that you know the person on the other end of the line get references on them, how they've operated over the last 10, 15 years is probably a good indication of how they're going to operate over the next. And we, we, we did a deep dive on this guy, but we, I mean, we, it, we went to the point where his mom was like, oh, he's good for it. You know, he's good for it. And we haven't seen anything. So yeah, just be careful. Wow. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Well, we, you know, you don't get hurt by the deals you don't do. Uh, we've left plenty of of meat on the bone for on investments that would have turned out to be home runs predominantly you know, pre- like precisely in covid like we had five investments in contract when the world shut down <laughs> and and we only ended up do- and bought, purchasing one of them all of them would have been i'm i'm confident today all of them would have been smashing successes because of what happened with the with the housing market, we had we had two buildings, or I'm sorry, three buildings in Raleigh, North Carolina. Think about what's wow. happened in Raleigh, yeah, <laughs> from COVID. It's had a huge migration of people moving mm-hmm. there. So you know, we didn't do those deals because we didn't feel good about where the world was at, and we were we just felt like the risk and the uncertainty was too high, and so we passed on them. And we're sitting here today, and we have a portfolio of warehouses. And, and apartments that are performing very well. So, you know, even though we've missed opportunity, the diligence that we've taken and everything that we purchase has put us in this position, you know? So it's okay to say no, not every deal 
not every deal that you do is going to work out the way that you envision it, but not every deal that's put in front of you is a good deal either. So just tread carefully. You have to have really tight fundamentals on why you are investing in something and don't change those fundamentals. You can contemplate taking a lower return on your investment if there's nothing else out there. Absolutely. But don't just, don't just change your, your thesis uh, because there's nothing out there. And that's kind of where we're at today. We're hunting for deals every single day, but because interest rates have popped so dramatically, we haven't seen asset prices come down and we're at a standstill. And so, you know, we might be in a position here over the next six, 12, 18 months where, you know, in the previous 12 months, we bought, we bought $90, $90 million for real estate. And, and off the top of my head, I don't know how much we've sold, but we've sold quite a bit too. In the next 12 months, we might do 25% of that just because wow. we can't, we can't find the opportunity. Well, it's better to remain disciplined than not. And you'd much rather be in a position wishing that you had done more deals rather than, oh man, I did too many deals. Much yeah. better to to wish you had done more. And Dan, I want to thank you for joining us today, sharing all these lessons with us. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about what you're up to or anything like that, where can they track you down? Yeah, our website is called drivencap.com. Just simple www.drivencap.com. You can reach out to me via email or LinkedIn. My email address is dan at drivencap.com. And my LinkedIn account is, is Dan Kennedy. And you can search Dan Kennedy Driven Capital Partners. So yeah, we're, you know, we're in this business to grow the pie. You know, what we what we want to turn this into is a really strong investment, real estate investment shop. Uh, we're on our way there. Uh, but we're going to need to meet some people that we can partner with to grow our business. So yeah, I'm I'm really always open ears to to meeting some new people. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.